Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. On Thursday, the anti-abortion movement in Texas won a major victory. In a 5-4 vote, the Supreme Court did not block SB 8, a new law that bans abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. That's before many women may even know that they're pregnant. The law relies on the vigilance of private citizens from any state to sue abortion providers and anyone else who helps a person obtain an abortion. That includes those who may give a person a ride to a clinic or provide financial assistance to the procedure. It's one of the nation's strictest abortion measures, and it's had a chilling effect on those who care about reproductive freedoms across the country. Abortion providers and pro-choice advocates say that there are larger ripple effects that people outside of Texas should be worried about. Is there now a blueprint for the conservative Supreme Court to eliminate Roe v. Wade? Is abortion now on the line as Newsom faces a recall election that could potentially swap him out with a conservative governor? And what could happen here, even in a state with some of the strongest abortion protections in the country? Today, I'm joined by Kiara Bridges. She's a professor of law at UC Berkeley, and she's here to help explain the legal implications of the Texas abortion ban. Later, I speak to Shannon Olivieri Hovis, the California director of NARAL, Pro-Choice California, an advocacy group for reproductive rights. She says the Texas law brings into focus the Newsom recall election, and she shares what pro-choice advocacy will need to look like in this new political landscape. First, let's start with Kiara. Kiara, you've written extensively on reproductive rights. So many of us are trying to wrap our heads around the Texas abortion law and what it all means. I wonder if we can start here. Can you share what's been the most striking thing about the ban to you? Well, the most striking thing about the ban is the fact that it went into effect. Um, So the ban is clearly unconstitutional under existing precedent. So Roe v. Wade in 1973 established that the Constitution protects the right to an abortion. In 1992, in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the court came up with a a schema, a a standard for um, testing the constitutionality of abortion regulations, the undue burden standard. One thing that the court said in 1992 in Casey was that bans of abortion were unconstitutional. So it was, it's not even a question of whether it, it, it amounts to an undue burden on the abortion right. The court said clearly that bans on abortion are unconstitutional. So the Texas law does exactly that. It bans abortions um, after the detection of a fetal heartbeat, which is at six weeks. And so it is clearly unconstitutional uh, given the Supreme Court precedent. Um, nevertheless, it's in, it's in effect, right? Um, in 
right now in Texas, the law is good law. Um, it is likely being enforced. Um, what it's doing most certainly is making it difficult, if not impossible, for most Texans to access the abortion services that they need, the abortion services that are still protected under the Constitution. And the law allows anyone to sue an abortion provider or anyone that might be aiding abortions after that six-week mark. What does this say about the strategy of anti-abortion activists, is this setting a kind of new standard where anyone can police abortions? Well, that's exactly what it does. Um, so the d- designers of this law um, are incredibly clever. I'll give them that. So what usually happens is that when an abortion regulation is passed, it is enforced by officials, right? Whether it's the attorney general or the commissioner of health and human services, right? So there's some sort of official um, who is responsible for enforcing the law. Um, so when uh, an abortion clinic or a potential abortion patient wants to to challenge the constitutionality of that regulation, they'll sue that official. Um, And usually once that official is sued, given existing precedent, um, there'll be an injunction. There'll be uh, the the enforcement of the law will be enjoined until the constitutionality of the thing is figured out. So what Texas uh, did was to make it so that no official is responsible for enforcing the law. Instead, private citizens are responsible for enforcing the law. And so that raises the question of who do you sue, right? Who do you sue in order to challenge the constitutionality of this law? Do you sue all private citizens in Texas? Um, the thing is that anybody can sue, um, even folks outside of Texas. So you sue every private citizen in the country, in the world. <laughs> um, so, you know, what the plaintiffs did in this case were to sue state judges that would be charged with sort of litigating these claims, the clerks of the court who would be, you know, responsible for dealing with the administrative aspects of the litigation. Um, as well as private citizen groups who had uh, expressed an interest um, in enforcing the law. Um, and so that's the procedural quirk um, that has led to it being so that we can say that on this very day, there is a law in place in Texas that makes the promises of Roe v. Wade illusory entirely. So for us here in the Bay Area, for women in California, could there be ripple effects here at all? And why might that be? Well, this is a dangerous precedent, certainly for (laughs) reproductive rights, but it's actually a dangerous precedent for all constitutional rights. Um, So Texas has given us kind of like a blueprint uh, for how you subvert constitutional guarantees. So we have clear rights, let's say, to... um, be free from unwanted sterilizations, right? So way back in the 1940s, the Supreme Court established you can't be sterilized without your consent. So we have like this this constitutional right. Basically, Texas has given us a blueprint for how to subvert that right. You just say, okay, um, you can sterilize whoever you want. And um, if a citizen, uh, you know, wants to uh, sue someone who was going around asking for consent before they sterilize folks, um, that citizen can do it. And there's no one to sue to enjoin the enforcement of this law. We ought to be worried and you know, blue states and California and the Bay Area, um, because all it takes is a hostile legislature 
Mm-hmm. Right. That's all it takes. And, you know, we feel sort of comfortable that we're in a, you know, we're in a deep blue state, but we're facing a recall of our governor right now. Uh, we're facing, you know, the possibility of having a governor who is red as a beat. Um, and so all it takes is a shift in our, you know, sort of political winds um, where we might be facing the same sort of repressive regime that, you know, folks with the capacity for pregnancy in Texas are currently facing. Yeah. And in the end, the Supreme Court allowed the law to stay in effect, even while the battle over its legality will continue. What does that say about the court at this moment? Um, We have Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health um, Organization. Um, It's that the the court is supposed to hear this term. Um, And the petitioners in that case have been asking for explicitly Roe v. Wade to be overturned. The fact that the court would allow for a law that is patently unconstitutional, that is patently inconsistent with existing precedent to go into effect, even though it's hiding behind the cover of like, you know, these procedural questions, it is allowing for a law that is inconsistent with the constitutional guarantees that the court has articulated to go into effect. It suggests that this court doesn't really care that much about abortion rights. The court has been very um, respectful and protective of other rights, property rights, rights around, you know, the ability of of the Trump administration to enforce his immigration policies. The fact that this court would allow for um, a law to go into effect that um, flouts Roe v. Wade and its promises um, suggests that this court doesn't care about abortion rights. We ought not to be optimistic that, you know, we'll get uh, protection of Roe v. Wade um, when Dobbs is decided later um, this term. In addition, Kiara, to writing about reproductive rights, you write about the intersection of reproductive rights with class and race, can you remind us who will be most impacted by this Texas law? So the most vulnerable among us will be most impacted by this Texas law. So those with um, the means, uh, both the financial means as well as the social capital, will be able to leave Texas, right? Um, They'll be able to hop on a plane and go to California and get a safe and legal abortion. Um, They'll be able to hop on a plane and go to Europe and get a safe and legal abortion. Um, It's those who don't have the ability to get around these abortion restrictions who are going to be affected by it, right? And this was true before Roe v. Wade. So in Texas, um, the privileged are inconvenienced while the unprivileged are just oppressed right now. You mentioned that the designers of this law were quite savvy. What do you think reproductive rights work and advocacy will have to look like moving forward? Well, you know, I think it's, it's so, so the designers were certainly savvy, but the only reason that it worked was because the designers had a receptive audience. So it is clear that the sort of procedural elements of this abortion ban were included in order to subvert the ability to um, enjoin the enforcement of this law. But it's also clear that we had a host of procedural doctrines available to us that could have shut it down, right? Um, The district court certainly had, you know, arguments in front of it that made it possible for them to enjoin the enforcement of this law. And so what does that mean for, you know, abortion rights advocacy going forward? 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, I, I hesitate to say, well, we have to be savvier because mm-hmm. it's not a question of being savvy at all. It's a question about whether those in power um, are willing to protect the rights that are so important to, to people with a capacity for pregnancy. There's a lot of talk right now about people pointing to different fundraisers and donations to financially contribute and help women that may need access to safe abortions right now. Is that the way for someone like us in the Bay Area to to help and contribute at this point? So the problem is that if we help and contribute to, you know, funds that are trying to, you know, help those in Texas access safe abortion, we're actually subject to being sued under Senate Bill 8 because <laughs> we would be mm. aiding and abetting the performance of illegal abortions. That's just what makes this law so pernicious is that it effectively not only chills the performance of abortion, but chills the advocacy around um, reproductive rights. So, Kiara, there's a lot of complicated legal angles to this. Thank you so much for explaining it for us. Thank you for having me. Kiara Bridges is a professor of law at UC Berkeley. She's also the faculty director at the university's Center on Reproductive Rights and Justice. After a break, I'll speak with Shannon Olivieri Hovis, the director of NARAL Pro-Choice California, an advocacy group for reproductive rights. She'll talk to me about how SB8 in Texas will impact abortion providers in California and how the state's political landscape hangs in a delicate balance for abortion rights. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back with more on the Texas abortion ban. I'm joined now by Shannon Olivieri Hovis, the director of NARAL Pro-Choice California. Shannon, the Supreme Court's decision not to block SB 8 has effectively overturned Roe v. Wade in the state of Texas. As someone who organizes pro-choice advocacy in California, how might that impact abortion rights and providers in the state? You know, now this dangerous move really opens the door for copycat legislation, essentially issuing an invitation to anti-choice legislators all across the country to follow suit. And what we know for California is when abortion is restricted in other states, we see a massive influx in out-of-state patients who need to access care within our borders. You know, as the Texas law goes into effect, as people really feel the ramifications and reverberations of that. Undoubtedly, we are going to see huge numbers of Texans who need to seek care here. And California has to be ready to take on that responsibility, which is a huge undertaking. I should emphasize that in the pandemic, we did see a major influx of -of out-of-state patients as states across the country tried to weaponize the COVID-19 pandemic to push abortion all but out of reach, say that it is an elective, not essential service, and that it could not be provided in certain states. Texas was among them. And California saw an influx of out-of-state patients and uh, patients specifically from Texas as a result of that. And this would be exponentially compounded as we continue to see abortion restricted across the country. Do we know how many people were coming to California for that sort of help? As one example 
the Planned Parenthood clinics in California saw 7,000 out-of-state patients last year. They typically didn't track the numbers of out-of-state patients coming in, but they saw such a massive influx last year that they began to monitor those numbers. And that's huge. I mean, 7,000 in one year alone, there are currently 24 abortion clinics in that state, uh, but the vast majority of them are, again, not going to be able to provide care after six weeks as long as this law stands. Can you talk about the strategy of anti-abortion activists? We just talked to Berkeley law professor Kiara Bridges about the legal savvy they used. How has their strategy evolved? We've seen for the last several years that they've been really ramping up their efforts. And it's because their eye is on the ultimate prize from their perspective. They've been mobilizing, coordinating their attacks over the last 40 plus years with their eye on the Supreme Court in an effort to unravel Roe v. Wade. This is, you know, a coordinated and concerted effort that has been decades in the making. Um, And this is just the latest iteration of what we're seeing, but it fundamentally represents a full scale assault on patients, providers, those who care for them and support them. And, And, you know, we have to remember abortion is extraordinarily common. One in four women will have an abortion at some point in their reproductive lives, one in four. So everybody knows somebody that has had an abortion. This law is the last real blatant attempt to just saddle health centers that provide abortion care with these endless lawsuits, intimidate pregnant people, and anyone who tries to help them push abortion out of reach at all costs. And that's what they're doing here. Does this change the way that you think about what pro-choice advocacy should look like here in California? I mean, it's a really interesting time right now in California because we are actually facing an anti-choice-led recall effort of Governor Gavin Newsom, who has been an incredible champion for reproductive freedom. The way that these things coincide, I just think that we cannot we cannot overlook that. So Lila Rose, the extreme anti-choice uh, individual who founded, she's the president of Live Action, and she just endorsed Larry Elder today. And there is no question that anti-choice folks are trying to come to California. They're emboldened to come to California and they think that they can win here. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that they, you know, that Larry Elder could be our next governor in California. And if that were to coincide with these kinds of assaults on abortion and reproductive freedom across the country, if that coincides with Roe v. Wade being all but, but obliterated nationally, Um, We would still have legal protections for abortion access here, but access, right, the right to abortion is meaningless if you do not have true meaningful access and a Republican governor and anti-choice governor here could do incredible damage to access to reproductive health care, decimate funding to reproductive health care, decimate funding to sex education even. We have to be thinking globally. California has a role to play nationally if Roe v. Wade falls. We clearly already have a role to play now since Roe v. Wade has fallen in Texas. And if California isn't ready to meet this moment to provide the kind of care that we need to be able to provide to to people coming into the state from all across the country, we identify as reproductive freedom state. What does it mean to be that? We have to be ready to actually provide care to the hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who may need care within our borders. We cannot pretend that abortion and reproductive freedom are not at risk here at home. We don't have that luxury. We have too much at stake 
not just for Californians, but for the country to take this for granted here. Is California prepared for this influx that you've just described? Are we able to provide that kind of care to that volume of people who may be needing that assistance? The short answer is no. We have been ramping up under Governor Gavin Newsom. We have been ramping up. He doubled funding in towards sexual and reproductive health care. He has signed into law many, many reproductive freedom efforts in the last couple of years, including ensuring that medication abortion is provided at California's public university campuses. You know, we had a bill this year to remove cost sharing for abortion care because the biggest barrier to accessing care is cost. <laughs> and right now, we don't have the infrastructure to provide this care to the people that would need it. We have in California, 40% of our counties do not have a single abortion provider. In addition to that, we have a massive pro overall maternal health, reproductive health provider shortage. We have uh, nine counties that don't have a single OBGYN, an additional 19 that have fewer than five OBGYNs. If you live basically north of Santa Rosa on the north coast of California, there's a single abortion provider. And that's, you know, that's a huge swath of land. People have to travel within this state up to 180 miles within our state borders to get to their nearest abortion clinic. So we have not dismantled enough of our access barriers within this state already. We hear about people having to wait weeks often to get an appointment for an abortion. Um, if not longer than that, that there are these long waiting lists. And so, you know, if we are in a position where we need to be prepared to take in lots and lots of people from other states, we really have to ramp up our efforts. Well, Shannon, there's so much to think about. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Shannon Olivieri Hovis is the director of NARAL Pro-Choice California, an advocacy group for reproductive rights. I'd like to thank her and UC Berkeley's Kiara Bridges for speaking with me today about Texas's abortion ban. As Shannon just mentioned, the California recall election will be consequential in more ways than one. It's going down on September 14th. You can find ongoing coverage of the Newsom recall election at sfchronicle.com slash recall or on the Chronicle app. Thanks to Taya Francesca Price for her help producing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs>